FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 83 of the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason Booby Armor Venable. <laughs> and this is going to be a flashback episode, a special bonus flashback episode. We're going to look at Rogue's first appearance. Of course, Rogue will be eventually an X-Man that's very important to Wolverine. And Wolverine's actually briefly in her first appearance, so I thought, you know, we'll cover that real fast. We'll also cover um, Uncanny X-Men Annual Number 5. Yeah, just a little, little bonus coverage for you in the, in the flashback vein, so enjoy. Alright, here we go. Okay, so first we'll uh, look at Rogue's first appearance, and it is in Avengers Annual number 10. So yeah, Rogue first pops up in Avengers of all places. Avengers Annual number 10 is by friends, pause, betrayed, and it is written by, of all people, Chris Claremont, penciled by Michael Golden, inked by Armando Gill, Joe Rosen is a letterer. Michael Golden is the colorist. The cover is by Al Milgram. And the cover basically is broken up into a bunch of panels. And it's kind of old school. It says, uh, See Captain America totally defeated. And it has Captain America being thrown through a window in Avengers Mansion and all the other Avengers in shock. Witness the invincible Iron Man knocked out of action. It has the armor just laying there. Observe Spider-Woman's daring midnight rescue and has Spider-Woman gliding through the rain. Behold the deadly new brotherhood of evil mutants. And it's got their picture plus a shocking mystery guest. And it's got the outline like a blue silhouette of a girl with long hair and then a, a white question mark over her head. And then... All of that and a cameo appearance by the Uncanny X-Men. It's got another panel and the idea is cool. It kind of reminds me of like an old radio show or like like a really old comic or even maybe like the 60s Batman TV show. It kind of has that I don't know, almost pulpy, cheesy feel to it. But the art's not very good. <laughs> and honestly, I haven't read a lot of Milgram stuff in a long time. So I'm only going off my memory as... a I don't know, teenager, very young adult, when I got some back issues with some of his stuff. And I remember being very lukewarm on it. Like, some of it was really good, and some of it was not so good. This is not his best cover. I know some of it is doing smaller panels, and it's less detailed and cartoony, so, you know, the lack of features, maybe you can't blame him for, but I don't know. Just not great. The idea is cool. The layout's cool. Just not a great cover. Okay, so... 
basically what we have here is um, Spider-Woman saves a Jane Doe who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh wait, it's Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Miss Marvel. But she has no powers or memories. Spider-Woman calls Professor X to come help her in San Francisco. Now remember, from previous flashback episodes, we've had a little Spider-Woman X-Men connection lately. So anyway, the X-Men are still working on the danger room that Kitty destroyed with the demon. In San Fran, Professor X gets glimpses of uh, Carol's memories, including Rogue in her first panel, who has stolen uh, Miss Marvel's powers and memories permanently. Back across the country in New York City, Rogue beats Cap and Thor, taking their powers. Mystique disguises herself as Wasp and immobilizes and captures Iron Man. The remaining Avengers confront Rogue, but they can't defeat her with the, uh, the powers that she stole, so she escapes. The Avengers have a meeting to catch the reader up on Ms. Marvel, <laughs> basically give her a recent history, and they track Rogue based on Ms. Marvel's Kree signature, energy signature or whatever, genetic signature, I don't know. Anyway, they track Rogue to Rikers Island, where she and Mystique are breaking out the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants after they were captured in Days of Future Past. There's a long and awesome fight between the Avengers and the Brotherhood of Evil, of evil Mutants. As kind of goes back in these early 80s comics, the bad guys are winning, but eventually Rogue's powers start to fade and the tide turns. Mystique and Rogue manage to escape, but the other evil mutants are recaptured. Later, at Mansion X, the Avengers come to meet Carol Danvers, who Professor X has helped get some of her memories back, but none of her powers. And she bitches at the Avengers and takes them to task for the way they've handled her recent events. So, um, we have this thing where Spider-Woman, who cannot fly, remember, she can glide with her uh, giant web armpit wings so she flies down or glides down and captures this jane doe right before she hits the bay water which would have killed her and somehow she's able to basically wrap jane doe between her thighs and somehow immediately start gliding back up again but then of course she doesn't and she falls back in the water so i don't don't know that part seemed kind of weird to me but the art's pretty cool and we'll talk more about that in a minute Oh, whoa, I'm sorry. So we go to the hospital, and um, we're kind of meeting the characters at the hospital, and there's a cop who is introduced to a patient, a child patient, and her name is Maddie Pryor. And she's not a redhead, so I think maybe it's just a coincidence, because I don't think this is her first appearance either. And I thought that was very strange, because obviously Madeline Pryor grows up to be a clone of Jean Grey, and uh, Mary Scott has cable... So I don't think there's any relation, it doesn't seem. And at least they had, if there is, they hadn't figured out she was going to be a clone of Jean yet. Anyway, I thought that was odd. Because we're not too far away from her popping up, I don't think. So when we first see Wolverine, um, he's in the danger room helping them fix stuff. Uh, Michael Gold is Wolverine's kind of trolly looking. It looks like a little troll. So I said, I hope Professor X's telepathy is easier to quote-unquote hear than it is to read. And that uh, was not as much based on 
Claremont's wordiness, but uh, Michael Golden, of course, we said did the colors, and he made some interesting color choices. Most of them are pretty cool, but he has this one thing where he's doing Professor X's telepathy, and he makes the thought balloon green and the words black, and it's kind of a dark green, so it's really hard to read. Some of the bubbles have, like, they're green and then, like, an end, like a creamy center that's yellow. It looks kind of weird, kind of cool, but it's, yeah, it's just kind of it's kind of difficult to read, especially on an aged comic page. So, first time we see Rogue is Michael Golden's Rogue with his style. Uh, looks pretty good. Um, she definitely she has a widow's peak. That's interesting. Yeah, she kind of looks like Ra's al Ghul <laughs> a little bit in this first appearance. Interesting. Okay, I never really put that together, but that's kind of what she looks like. So Rogue starts off from the beginning with her southern accent. Thought that was cool. And uh, she kisses Captain America to steal his powers. Because it'll make out time. (laughs) There's a part where Thor turns into Robert Blake. Or I'm sorry, Donald Blake. Not Robert Blake. (laughs) Um, Anyway, they say something that I don't know if they would say anymore. It may be a little bit un-PC. Remember Ronald Blake had a a limp? uh, So Thor turns into... um, he strikes his Yuru hammer, Mjolnir, strikes the ground once more, transforming an Asgardian immortal into a lame physician. And I said, yeah, yeah, Dr. Blake was lame. Like, it's lame that Thor had a secret identity. I never... See, I, I read this old stuff, and I remember why growing up, I never liked Thor. Like, if he would have been like he is now, probably have a lot fonder memories of him. <laughs> so we have a good old misogynist Hawkeye... He says, Thor's being trashed <gasps> by a woman? What? So they, they, they're giving the history of Carol Danvers. And um, one of the first comics I ever got was Avengers 200. It's from that old box. If you ever hear me and flashback host Cameron Sinclair talk about our mystic or mythical box. Of, no, what's the right word? epic box of comics that we had Avengers 200 is one of the ones I gleaned from that and I've read that several times over the years and I gotta say this synopsis here of all those events at least to my memory makes a lot more sense than the actual story itself as it took place in Avengers like it's very like Chris Claremont streamlines it of course for summary but he clears it up and Kind of puts it in order, just make, I don't know, it just makes a lot more sense. It's a lot easier to understand. Also, Avalanche and Destiny's powers are much more defined or specific as far as what they do. Avalanche, yeah, all right, he can crumble solid objects with a touch or a thought, creating an instantaneous avalanche or tidal wave effect. All right, and then it says the destiny. We have a naked blob. That's gross. So she says, she talks about her precog powers, and she says, Nothing is certain until it happens, Pyro. I deal in probabilities. I perceive the myriad infinite pathways to the future. From them, I must deduce the one we are to follow, the one most likely to bring us success. But in everything, there is an element of chance. I like that. I think it's really cool. Beast, when he's hopping into the battle, says Cowabunga, so he's a Ninja Turtle. I think he's said that before under Claremont. We get some good old Hawkeye trick arrows. (laughs) Oh, and all right, so we get another Nightcrawler Mystique connection. This time, uh, Spider-Woman comments on Mystique's true appearance. Her features resemble Nightcrawlers. Could there be a connection? So I thought that was interesting that we're establishing that throughout the Marvel Universe. 
All right, so we have a part where Rogue uh, is punching Iron Man, and she uh, she talks about, uh, my goodness, Sugar, you certainly are no gentleman, but then what else can one expect from a Yankee? So I thought, damn Yankees, and I thought, Ted Nugent. <laughs> All right, so we get a kind of a breakdown of Rogue, that under normal circumstances, Rogue's powers wear off. This marvels are permanent because she maintained contact for too long. We also get a really cool Scarlet Witch panel by Michael Golden where she's casting her hexes. We get a comment where uh, Mystique uses her powers to steal or confiscate really cool tech. So, like, you know, she, I guess, looks like government agents or scientists or whatever, but thought that was a nice touch. We have an awesome full-page panel of Scarlet Witch. just looks amazing. But the more I read her, I just, she's just so dumb. I don't like her powers. Her, ooh, hex, ooh, bend reality, ooh. I'm a witch, but I'm a mutant, but I'm a witch. I just don't like her that much. But this is an awesome panel. So then back at the mansion, the Avengers are coming to meet Carol. So Wolverine just misses the Avengers. Of course, he lasts all them in Dazzler. But he does take all the beer. <laughs> so anyway, um... Yeah, I got got a few things to say. First of all, I don't remember. By the time I started collecting, nobody really talked about Michael Golden anymore. And even as I went and got back issues, or I started building my back issue collection, I just never really ran into him. I don't know if it's just the books that he did I wasn't into. Like, I know he did a lot of Micronauts and, and stuff like that. You know, so honestly, um, I've had very limited exposure to him, and this is actually probably my first book of his to read all the way through. Like, to, to read, to have. I've seen panels online and stuff, because just recently, I've heard artists start talking about him being an influence, and I don't really remember that growing up. But I've heard, I think, I know Todd McFarlane has in the last decade or so, it's talked about him a little bit. I think Eric Larson and a couple of, of the other image guys may have as well. Anyway, so this is kind of really my first, like, dive-in for him. And his art is very stylized, and parts of it I'm not sure about, but I thought overall it was really good. Um, I definitely see where McFarlane was influenced by him. I can tell. But yeah, and I thought him coloring his own stuff was interesting too. There's a lot of interesting color work. So I gotta say, overall, the art was very pleasing. Some of the faces are like distorted in a 90s kind of way. thought that was kind of weird. But might explain some stuff too. So I thought the story, other than the end part, where basically Carol gripes that the Avengers basically didn't stop her from, or didn't help her enough with the whole um, Immortus thing. Which, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think she had a point a little bit. And that part wasn't that cool. Like, the Avengers regrouping and then beating themselves up and her being mad and, and not going back with the team and whatever. But up until that point, the story is great. I mean, it's freaking awesome. Um, it's a great first appearance by Rogue. Wolverine's barely in it. Has you know he's he's helping fix the danger room and that's about it. And then, then he's at the pool. I did think it was it was cool. He was at the pool at the end in the mansion, and he's in the pool and he's got like four empty cans of beer, and then he's holding a can of beer, and then he's got his cowboy hat sitting on the edge of the pool. <laughs> no, that was funny. But yeah. Anyway, man, the fights. There's a lot of fighting in this book, and it's all awesome. And Rogue, man, I tell you what. This is a great introduction. No wonder she was so 
cool for such a long time. I know nobody's really done anything good with her in like, I don't know, probably at least 10 years. Even with her recent death, as much as I love Uncanny Avengers and the Remender stuff, I don't really think he handled Rogue all that well. But anyway, I get a sense right away from this first appearance of why she's such an intriguing character, why she becomes so popular so quickly, and stays popular for a long time. Of course, you know, by the time we get to the 90s, she is one of the X-Men. So, I mean, you know, if that's what she does. I mean, she's a bad guy, right? <laughs> Flashback. Um, anyway, so yeah, I thought this was really cool. Now, I've never actually read this before. Like I said, because Rogue was so immensely popular in the 90s, I cannot afford this book. <laughs> I think, I, I guess I can thank her being so crappy for so long now that the book's <laughs> gotten really, really cheap. So I, I was actually able to get it. And um, it's one of those things I looked for a lot as a teenager and just never could find one I could afford. Anyway, I recently got one and was able to read it for, for the podcast and I, I loved it. Look forward to seeing her where she pops up again. I like the ties to Days of Future Past and the Avengers storyline that was going on at this time. Like it was a really just, I don't know, a nice, the book just came together very, very well. It was a nice, but it was also a really good standalone story. So yeah, I'm going to give Avengers number 10... I'm sorry, Avengers Annual number 10. I'm going to give it 5 out of 6 claws. Definitely definitely like Rogue a lot. So I thought it was, it was really fun to read her first appearance. Her debut, as you will. Okay, so in addition to talking about Rogue's first appearance, we'll also cover another annual. That's going to be King Size X-Men Annual number 5. This is Ooh La La Badoon. This is written by Chris Claremont. With pencils by Brent Anderson. Bob McCloyd is the inker. Tom Orzakowski is the letterer. Glennis Ween is the colorist. The cover is also by Brent Anderson. And it's the X-Men. Or kind of main five right now. Uh, Kitty, Storm, Colossus, Nightcrawler, and Wolverine. And the Fantastic Four. Fighting the Badoon in just a sandy terrain so i like brent anderson we'll talk more about that in a minute but this cover is not great you know just too many little things that don't look right so it's not the best cover all right so part one ooh la la badoon so the uh fantastic four intercept a police call there's a woman on the streets with a laser gun turns out it's a shiar pathfinder running from a band of invisible badoon the fantastic four can't see the badoon of course. So they assume that the Shi'ar is the threat. Uh, the Badoon killed the Shi'ar and managed to stun the Fantastic Four, taking the guys away. Sue overheard, overheard the Shi'ar mumbling in her death rattle all about what the Badoon were, and she talked something about Archon and something about Xavier. So Sue goes to the X-Mansion and explains everything to the X-Men. Turns out Storm has been dreaming of Archon because <laughs> he's so dreamy. So the X-Men and the Storm have some of his lightning bolts left over and they use them to go to Archon's planet, which as far as I know, still does not have a name. All right, part two, which is called The Sundered Realm. The Sundered Realm? <laughs> Question mark? So the X-Men arrive on Archon's planet. They're greeted by Shashia, who is actually the one sending the dreams to Storm. Planet Archon, as I will call it for now, 
has been conquered by the Badoon. They've set up base, and they also have a Stargate, which is their portal on and off the world. In this city, there are no boys or no non-Badoon males allowed, but cute Earth girls are. Cyclops has a plan. Light bulb. Sue Storm and a uh, storm infiltrate the city as hot chicks to rescue Archon and the Fantastic Four. Cyclops, Colossus, and Kitty, who I guess is not hot, or no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's good that they didn't uh, try to objectify 13-year-old Kitty. Anyway, they're going to be back up. Wolverine, Nightcrawler, and Shashia will d- go and destroy the Stargate. Part 3, which is... And now, Armageddon! So, the Badoon want Earth next. And they're interrogating Reed Richards about Earth's superheroes. Then they say, for some reason, and we need to know, that after they take Earth, they're going to go after the Shi'ar. The Storm Sisters get busted, so Cyclops' team has to blow their cover and go on the offensive. But the Storm Sisters are able to free the FF. Battle! Banter! More battle! Nightcrawler destroys the Stargate, but it blows them all up. Eventually, the good guys win. Uh, Nightcrawler ported Wolverine and Shashia out of the Stargate before the explosion, but it gravely injured him. Remember, he's uh, teleported another person before, and that really wore him out. So teleporting two people and him at the same time almost killed him. Alright, part four... The Passing of the Dream. And basically, it's a party. All right. So, I liked on the first page that uh, Reed's working on something in a lab. And Ben is helping. And it says that Johnny is observing. Thought that fit the Fantastic Four pretty well. So then in the next couple of pages, they keep talking about the evening sky. But it's all white. It looks like it's the middle of the day. So I don't know what's going on there. I did think it was interesting that when everybody's in the living room at the X-Mansion and Sue's explaining everything, she brought Franklin Richards with her, her son, her young son, because she was worried about his safety. It's so all in the living room and Colossus and Kitty are playing with the kid. And then Wolverine's sitting on the couch smoking a cigarette, giving that kid secondhand smoke. Good job, Wolverine. So Kitty, before, when they get ready to go on the mission, comes in with another horrible costume. It's basically like a dark pink onesie with light pink leggings. She has some kind of weird metal shin guards, a golden belt, a tiara, golden bracelets, and an orange cape. Looks horrible. And all the X-Men kind of, ho, 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 Kitty. There's a weird thing where Cyclops is trying to comfort Sue. That, you know, they will find the Fantastic Four no matter what. But he all, like, gets all touchy-feely with her. He, like, puts his, he wraps his arms around her shoulder. He's like, don't worry, Sue. We'll find the Fantastic Four. What if we don't? I'll take care of you. (laughs) Know what I mean? I may not have an elongated penis. (laughs) But I have an optic blast. Oh, Mr. Fan... You know what they call him, Mr. Fantastic, right? So, I'm really enjoying the art in this book. I like Brent Anderson. One complaint, though, and it's, it's kind of a biggie in this book. He draws Wolverine way too tall and way too lean. Like, he's not short, and he's not stocky at all. In fact, nobody in this book is stocky, with the exception of the thing. 
And Colossus is like 10 feet tall. Kenny comes up to his waist. <laughs> That's too tall. And Shashia, I mean, yeah, she's a woman, so maybe she doesn't have to be that tall, but they're also a planet full of warriors. So I'm assuming she's taller than 5'3". And Wolverine is exactly the same height as her. And they're standing side by side. So I thought, I didn't really like that. I thought, I know different people draw Wolverine different ways and there's different kind of interpretation. Some people make him like really short, really stocky, and some people don't. I'm not a huge fan of the tall, thin Wolverine. I don't know, not my favorite. That said, it looks cool. It just doesn't look like Wolverine, really. <laughs> So I thought it was weird that the these lizard men that they keep referring to, the Badoon, have a real soft spot for humanoid women. Earth girls, soft mammals, they say. Oh, and then there's a part when Wolverine is complaining about the odds. And I don't like that, because normally Wolverine, like, the worse the odds, the more he enjoys it. So I don't know what he's objecting to or why. And Claremont always writes him, so I don't know why he had Wolverine kind of object to like, we don't have a chance. The odds are really against us. Doesn't always fit, I don't think. Especially not this period Wolverine. Really doesn't fit him at all, I don't think. So that was weird. So there's a, uh, the panel of them torturing the FF. The panel of Johnny being tortured with some kind of energy looks awesome. Looks really, really cool. So they, they have this scene where they basically, like, they have to check out the Storm Sisters. And it basically says the Badoon fill, filled them up. He's like, I've never felt anything so repulsive. Yeah, I don't know. It was really weird. Really pervy. The Badoon are really pervy. So yeah, booby armor. Shashia changes into her warrior clothes and she's got like this purple suit. Like, almost looks like a thermal. And then she has like armor in different spots. Like she has armor on her legs and on her thighs. Her forearms, her biceps, her shoulders, and of course, her boobs. Two little armor boobs. <laughs> that was funny. Alright, so we have this really cool conversation between Nightcrawler and Wolverine. It's actually really cool. So Nightcrawler says, A moment, mind Freud. During the battle, will you use your claws? They ain't here for show, Crawler. Of course I'll use them. This is war, pal, and I'm a soldier. The Madoon are the enemy. <coughs> I'm too, my throat's too scratchy to do Wolverine. He says, I'm going to show them the same mercy they'd show me. Lay off, Kurt. I don't hear you asking Shashia and the Warlord their intentions. Killing comes with the territory. It can't be avoided. So don't ask me to hold back, because I won't. And don't try to stop me, because you can't. I understand, but so much too. We are not merely warriors, or even people. We have a responsibility to stand for something greater than ourselves. We represent an ideal, a dream. We must be better than the best, Logan, in all things. You are correct. I cannot stop you, but I can and will make you aware of what you do and how serious it is. The taking of a life, any life, no matter how justified, is not a casual thing. It should never be treated lightly. I may be too old to change, even if I wanted to. Perhaps... But you are too honorable a man not to at least try. Thought that was great and really summed up their friendship and a lot of kind of where Wolverine's journey is basically going to go for the rest of his life. Thought that was really cool. Really nice page, really nice dialogue. Just really nice. All right, so we get something weird though where it talks about Wolverine talks about the claws that are housed in the back of his hands. I, up from this point, we've always said the claws retract from the back of his hands. And when it says they're housed, it almost makes it sound like the whole claw is stored in his hand. Which, I think later, 
or I've always thought or assumed anyway, even at this point, that they were sheathed in his forearm and the whole clock extended to the base of his hand and then like out his hand and then the, I guess, the back or bottom of the claw like got caught or lodged or stayed somewhere in the back of his hand like inside. But this says the claws are lodged in the back of his hand, which makes it sound like, like I said, that the whole claw is not in his arm, but in the back of his hand. So it makes it kind of sound like then that the adamantium, which is weird, that adamantium would be collapsible. But that's kind of the way it's worded here and the way it sounds. I don't think that'll last, but I thought it was interesting to point out. We get a weird thing, remember from Dazzler where Johnny was like, ooh, Storm's gorgeous. Well, he still kind of has the hots for her. Of course, Johnny also has the hots for any, any girl with two legs and two boobs. But um, but yeah, he, he, he still has a crush on Storm. We get a little bit more of Kitty and Peter. That was really interesting. Oh, so I was kind of disappointed. So they're, they're fighting at the Stargate. And Wolverine talks about uh, and they're not really getting the Stargate. All they're doing is building a Badoon body count. And we see several dead Badoon, but we don't see him actually kill any of them. So I was kind of disappointed, because it appears that he has. But I can't count it as a kill for Wolverine, because I don't know who he killed, or Nightcrawler killed, or Shashia killed, whatever. Anyway, right before that, there's an awesome panel where Wolver- or Colossus is fighting a giant. And he knocks him through a, a wall in a tower and falls all the way down. He even lands in a little Looney Tune cloud of dust. And we have Kitty like peering over the edge and you only see the, her fingers in the top of her head. It looks really cool. And Colossus in shadow climbs out of this crater. Anyway, those two pages, awesome, awesome art. And great color work too. Really, really good. We get a, it's clobbering time from the thing, but Kitty's not impressed. She's like, aw, there's nothing Colossus can't do. <laughs> that was funny. So Kitty, we find out, I think we, we've had hints at this, and we'll get some more, but Kitty's really smart. She can have a conversation science-wise with Reed Richards and know what he's talking about. So yeah, she's kind of a genius, even, you would say. Like, we knew she was smart, now we know she's a genius. Or at least we're getting there, anyway. So, so I thought this was weird. What, there's a, the vizier. He's like the uh, wise man on planet Archon. He talks about something as, bi- in a, as, as much as humanly possible. But why would he, I mean, I guess, I mean, they look like humans, but are they called humans? I don't know. I just thought that was weird. One of those things where, like, we just throw Earth language on another planet. Just thought it was interesting. Kind of strange. So, at the party... You know, when Tom Petty says, uh, Oh my, my, oh hell yes, honey, put on your party dress. Well, guess who took him really seriously? That's right, Cyclops. (laughs) I also thought it was weird because everybody else is dressed up. The Fantastic Four are in their costumes. Why they didn't have to get in weird space barbarian garb, I don't know. But Cyclops is in like a yellow toga. And then he has his uniform cowl and visor on. So not just his glasses, not just his visor, but the blue cowl as well. Looks very strange. It looks like when Batman's not wearing a shirt, but he still has his cowl on. It's that kind of thing. So we get Colossus and Thing arm wrestling. They're tied at one apiece. This is winner takes all. And they're at a stalemate. But then Kitty walks up and Thing gets googly eyed at Kitty. Says, whoa, hot mama. Colossus looks over and says, what? And he loses. 
because he gets distracted by how hot Kitty is. He's never realized how hot she was before. She was cute, but now she's just damn sexy. Now keep in mind, she's 13 and a half. Now granted, I've always just assumed Colossus was like 18-ish. So that's still too big of a gap that I'm not comfortable with. Well, I always was okay with it because I always thought Kitty was like 15 or 16. So it was only a few years. So either Colossus is also younger than I thought, or I'm not sure this relationship is appropriate. <laughs> they seem to grow Kitty up fast. And I don't really remember uh, Storm and Archon being in love. Or they act like it's just torture that they can't stay together. Because Archon has to stay and defend his planet. And Storm has to stay with the X-Men. And oh man, we should both rather just die almost. So anyway, that's that. You know, the art is really quite good overall. My Wolverine proportion nitpick aside, it's really good art. The story, um, the fighting was mostly good. But the story is kind of dumb. It'd be a lot cooler if this was the Badoon on Earth and not on this weird Archon planet. I mean, it was just the X-Men and Fantastic Four fighting the Badoon, like, trying to take over some city. It doesn't even have to be New York. Like, they can keep it in the desert. Like, make it New Mexico or Arizona. And there can be a Stargate out in the desert, just like there was on Archon's planet. But just take all the stupid Archon people out of it, and it's a much better story. So I'm going to give Uncanny X-Men annual number five, three out of six claws. Okay, so that's going to do it for episode 83. So basically, we got big picture. We got the introduction of Rogue in a very cool first story. And it's the idea of this this mutant who can steal powers and mystique. Basically, we don't know if she's being used or... We don't have the the background of, of their relationship yet. So all we know really is, is Mystique gets this new mutant to join her brotherhood of evil mutants. That can steal powers and and gets her to help break the other guys out of jail. That was a really good issue. And then we get the Wolverine thing with uh, the conversation between him and Nightcrawler, which was really cool. And uh, it was kind of weird in this kind of weird Badoon story, but it kind of lays, if not lays out, then helps spell out kind of really kind of the crux of his journey. So. So we get some cool stuff in these two annuals. Yeah, well, that's gonna do it. Hope you enjoyed this little uh. Bonus flashback episode. Flashback. Apologize, my voice was a little rougher than usual. My throat's pretty scratchy, but um, hey, you know it's all right. <laughs> so anyway, um, please leave an iTunes review, like the Facebook page. Uh, if you want show notes and stuff, that's uh, snickcast.podbean.com. Our Twitter is at snickcast. You can email um, theories, suggestions, whatever, adulation <laughs> to uh, snickcast at yahoo.com. Yeah, so I don't know what'll be next. We'll figure it out. But until next time, hugs and snicks. Bye.